Chapter 1 of Small Souls by Louis Couperus. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. It was pouring with rain, and Doreen van Loer was tired out when, by way of a last visit, she dropped in on Carol and Cateau just before dinner. But Doreen was pleased with herself. She had gone out immediately after lunch and had trotted and trammed all over the Hague. She had done much, if not everything, and her tired face looked very glad, and her bright black eyes sparkled. "'Have Benier and Befrau gone into dinner yet, Sincha?' she asked, nervous and breathless, in a sudden fright, lest she should be too late. "'Now, miss, but it's just on six, said Sincha, severely. Doreen van Loa whisked through the hall and rushed upstairs, forgetting to put her wet umbrella in the stand. She clutched it in one hand, together with her skirt, which she forgot to let fall. In her arm she held a parcel pressed close to her, under her cape. In the other hand she carried her muff and her old black satin reticule. With the same hand, making a superhuman effort, she felt for her pocket-handkerchief, and managed to blow her nose without dropping anything but four or five tram-tickets which flew around her on every side. Old Sincha followed her with her glance, severely. Then she went to the kitchen, fetched a cloth, silently wiped up a trail of rain and drops along the hall and staircase, and carefully picked the tram tickets off the stair carpets. Doreen walked into her brother's study. Carol van Loa was sitting placidly by a good fire, reading... His smooth-shaven face shone pink and young. He wore his thick, glossy hair neatly combed and brushed into a fine tuft. He dyed his moustache black, and like Doreen he had the black eyes of the Van Loers. His broad figure looked comfortable and well-fed in his spruce clothes. His waistcoat lay in thick creases over his stomach, and his watch-chain rose and fell with his regular breathing. He seemed calm and healthy, full of calculating prudence and quiet selfishness. He gently put aside the magazine which he was reading, as though he felt that he was in for it, that he would have to listen to his sister for a quarter of an hour at least. But he made up his mind to interrupt her pretty often. So he rubbed his large fat pink hands and looked at Doreen impassively, and his glance seemed to convey, Go on! I'm listening. I can't help myself. Doreen stood near his writing table, which was in the middle of the prim room, while he remained sitting by the fire. I've been to all of them, Doreen began triumphantly. To Bertha? To Bertha? To Gerrit? To Gerrit? To Adolphine? And to Ernst and Paul. I've been to all of them, said Doreen triumphantly and they've all promised to come. Doreen, would you mind putting your umbrella outside? It's so wet. Doreen put her umbrella in the passage outside the door, and she now also let fall her skirt, the hem of which showed an edge of wet mud, at which her brother kept staring as though hypnotised. And what did Bertha say? he asked, pretending to be interested, but giving all his attention to the wet hem. Well, Bertha was very nice, I must say, Bertha was very nice, said Doreen, 
and the tears, always so ready with her, came into her dark eyes. She was very busy with the girls, drawing up the lists of invitations for Emily's wedding, and tomorrow they have one of their official dinners. But she said at once that if Mamma wished it, we must all of us obey her wish and go to Mamma's tonight to meet Constance. And Van Nagel, who came in for a moment, said so too. Bertha never agreed with Mamma about encouraging Constance to come back to Holland, but now that things had gone as far as they had, she said she would look upon Constance as a sister again, quite as a sister. And what did Van Nagel say? asked Carol Van Loer. Carol was not really interested in what his brother-in-law, Van Nagel van Voorde, the colonial secretary, had said, but he had a methodical mind, and now that he knew Bertha's opinion, he also wanted to know her husband's opinion, and the opinion of all the other brothers and sisters. Meanwhile, he continued to look at the wet hem of Dorian's skirt, and longed to ask her not to touch his paper-knife and paperweight, which she kept playing with half-nervously, but he said nothing, calculating within himself that, presently, when Doreen was gone, he would have a moment before dinner to put everything straight. Well, I gathered from what Van Nagel said that he hoped Constance would show the greatest tact and not be too pushing at first, but that, as their brother-in-law, he would welcome Van der Velker and Constance very cordially. Carol nodded placidly to show that he understood what lay at the back of Van Nagel's words, and that he quite agreed. And what did Van Satsuma and Adolphine say? Well, of course, I had more trouble with Adolphine than with any of the others, cried Doreen, triumphantly waving the paper knife, while Carol anxiously followed the movements of her hand. First, she didn't want to come, and said that Mamma had no morals and all that sort of thing. I answered that I respected her views, that of course everyone was free to think as he pleased, but that she must not forget that Mamma was an old woman, a very old woman, and that we ought to try and make her happy in her old age. Then I said that Constance was Mamma's child as much as any of us, and that it was only natural for Mamma to want us all to take Constance back as a sister, as it had all happened so very long ago and she had been married to van der Velke for fifteen years, and their boy is thirteen. Doreen, would you please mind leaving the paperweight alone, else all those letters are sure to get mixed? And what did Adolphine say to that? Well, at first, Adolphine wouldn't hear of going, said she was afraid of Constance's bad influence on the girls, said she couldn't possibly take them, in fact she talked like a fool. But when I told her that Van Nagel and Bertha were coming, and that not a word had been said about their girls, that they were coming too, then Adolphine said that she would come after all and bring her girls, and Gerrit and Ernst. Doreen opened Carol's stamp box, but shut it again at once, terrified when she saw the stamps neatly arranged in the compartments according to their values. I saw Gerrit and Ernst too, and Adeline spoke very nicely. And Paul? A gong sounded. That's dinner, said Carol. I suppose you won't stay, Doreen. I don't think there's much. Cato and I always dine so simply. Oh, I eat very little. I should like to stay if I may. Then we can all go on to Mamma's afterwards. 
Carol van Loa gave one more look at the muddy hem. He remembered that the dining room had been cleaned that day, and he could restrain himself no longer. Doreen, he said in despair, in that case, won't you let Marie brush you down first? Then, at last, Doreen realised that she was not fit to be seen after trotting and tramming the whole afternoon in the rain. She looked in the glass. When she had taken off her wet cape, she would be less presentable than ever, and so she dolefully changed her mind. You're right, Carol. I don't look nice, and my boots are wet. I think I had better go home and change for the evening. So goodbye for the present, Carol. Goodbye, Doreen. The gong sounded again. Doreen clutched her reticule, hunted all round the room for her umbrella, until she remembered that it was outside and hurried away, while Carol repaired the disorder on his writing table and put the paperweight and paper knife straight. In the hall, Doreen met her round-faced sister-in-law, staring at her with startled eyes like an owl's. Cateau asked in a slow, whining voice that emphasised every third or fourth word, Oh, Doreen, are you really staying to dinner? No, thanks, Cateau. It's very kind of you, but I must change my things. They're all coming this evening to Mamma's. Oh, are they all coming? Yes, and I am so glad. Well, don't let me keep you. Carol will tell you all about it. So, goodbye till later. She hurried away. Cincha let her out, severely. Carol and Cateau sat down to dinner. They had no children. They were now living in The Hague, after many years spent in a pretty village in Utrecht, where Carol had been burgomaster. They had a large and handsome house in the Oranjestraat. They kept three servants. They kept a carriage. They loved good fare and took their meals by themselves, just the two of them. They never entertained. There were no small dinners for relations, nor dinner parties for friends. They lived according to the rules of opulent respectability. Everything in their large house, with its heavy, comfortable furniture, was solid and respectable, in no wise luxurious. They both looked healthy and opulent and Dutch and respectable. Cateau was a heavy woman of forty, with a pair of startled round eyes and a round face, and she always wore a neat, smooth, well-fitting dress, brown, black or blue. They lived by the clock. In the morning, Carol took a walk, always the same walk, through the woods. After lunch, Cateau did her shopping. Once a week they paid a round of visits together, and that was the only time when they went out together. They were always at home in the evening, except on Sundays when they went to Mamma Van Loer's. Notwithstanding their comfortable life, their three servants and their carriage, they were thrifty. They considered it a sin and a shame to spend money on a theatre, an exhibition or a book. Every spring and autumn, they bought what they needed for their house and wardrobe, so as to have everything good and nice. But that was all. Their one vice was their table. They lived exceedingly well, but kept the facts from the family, and always said that they lived so very simply, 
that they could never ask an unexpected visitor to stay, and as they never invited anybody, the secret of their dainty table did not leak out. They had a first-rate cook, and Cateau kept a tight rein upon her, telling her that Menia was so particular. But they both feasted daily, and at their meals they would exchange a glance of intelligence, as though relishing some voluptuous moment of mutual gratification, because everything was so good. Softly smacking their lips, they drank a good glass of good red wine, and then, at dessert, Carol's face beamed fiery red, and Cateau blinked her eyes, as though tickled to her marrow. Then they went into the sitting-room, and sat down at the round table with their hands folded in their laps, to digest in silence. Carol, for appearance's sake, would undo the parcel from the circulating library. Now and again they looked at each other, reflecting complacently that Anna had cooked that dinner beautifully. But, as they considered that this enjoyment was sinful, and above all, un-Dutch, they never spoke of their enjoyment and enjoyed in silence. This evening, they reckoned out that they had quite an hour left in which to digest their dinner by the big stove, and as they did not like Mamma's tea, they had a cup of tea at home. At eight o'clock, Sincha came to say that the broom was at the door, so as not to let the broom wait longer than necessary in the rain and spoil, they got up at once, put on cloak and greatcoat and started. They did not so much mind if the horse got wet, for the horse was jobbed, but the broom was their own. End of chapter 1